We are so thankful you decided to take time out of your day to listen to this sermon. Central to all of our services is gospel-centered teaching led by our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Warren. Together, we are a church that seeks to follow Jesus every day, and we hope you are drawn closer to Christ as a result of this message. What's happening? How are we doing? How many of y'all been on a road trip before? Most of you should have a hand up. If you haven't, you were deprived. You need to go on a road trip. So most people would think that the key individual on the road trip is the wheel man, right? The guy behind the wheel, gal behind the wheel, she or he is the most important person. It's not. It's the person riding shotgun that is the most important person. They have many, many, many responsibilities. The driver just got to keep the car on the road. Shotgun's responsible for so many things. So I went on a road trip. I've told you all this story before. Uh, the year I graduated from college, me and my three best friends, we road tripped out to California from Atlanta. Uh, we stopped in Memphis, St. Louis, uh, drove through Kansas. Little did I know I drove through the town where my wife was growing up. Uh, I hadn't met her yet, but there she was. Um, Kansas, uh, uh, Denver. Then we went to Vegas, yes. And, um, and then we went to uh, San Francisco and then Sacramento. And so that was our, our route. And my three friends, as, as I, when I would drive, I would have to weigh which one I wanted to be shotgun. And, and it was difficult because they all brought different things to the table. My, one of my best, my, 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 probably my best friend growing up, he was fantastic at choosing music to listen to. Playlist was great. He had Johnny Cash, he had Willie Nelson, all this stuff that I loved. But he couldn't read a map to save his life. And so we would get lost. Now we'd be lost listening to great music. But we would be lost. Then I had another buddy who had, was excellent at reading a map, but he didn't like music that I liked. And I was like, man, do I really want to be where I'm going if I'm just got to be miserable getting there? <laughs> and then my third friend, he was excellent at reading a map. In fact, he's a marine fighter pilot now. He's fantastically orientedly gifted. But he would always fall asleep. I'm like, well, that's not helpful at all. Like, you're just not doing anything. You're just asleep. I don't think he falls asleep now when he's flying, but he, he falls asleep. And, and today we're, we're kind of going through this, right, Romans road trip, and today we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, I know I might be picking on some people with their bumper stickers, God is my co-pilot, and then there's another one that's like, no, God is my pilot, right? I'm not getting into all that today. The Holy Spirit's role in our lives is to function as a guide, as somebody riding shotgun with us, directing us, telling us where to go, what to do, where to follow, what to what to look for. He's keeping us awake. He's playing music in our head to, to remind us of the gospel. Like he's doing all of this because he comes and lives in our hearts when we receive Christ. And my guess is that many of you, especially if you grew up as a Baptist or in one of our more, um, how do I put this, reserved denominations, the Holy Spirit kind of freaks you out. He's weird. I like Jesus. I like the Father. I don't know about that Holy Spirit guy, right? So what I want to talk about today is I want us to talk about how we can feel led by the Holy Spirit, how we can know what he does in our lives, and how we can respond to his work and we can follow him. So that's what we're talking about today. We're in Romans 8, and the first thing we need to do is we need to trust the Spirit as our guide. Trust the Spirit as your guide. So let's start with Romans 8.1, which I think is the best verse in all of Scripture. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's taken Paul seven chapters to get here, but we are here, and it is the best verse in the Bible. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness. 
You've been moved by the Spirit's power into this kingdom of light, and there is no condemnation anymore. You don't have to worry about God dropping the other other foot on you. You don't have to worry about him pulling out the rug from under you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you put your faith and trust in him, there is no condemnation. In fact, the therefore now is an emphatic. It's there is therefore now no condemnation. It's like absolutely not, not possible, no way. And the reason for this lack of condemnation is actually found in verses 2 and uh, 3. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. Let's start talking about verse 3. Jesus Christ comes and lives a perfect life for us. So God has desires for us. He has commands for us to follow, and we don't follow them. We've been screwing up since Adam, and we kind of carry this original sin in us. So we're all sinful. It's not a behavior. It's a condition. And we can't keep the law. We can't keep things straight. But Jesus Christ comes, lives the perfect life, is able to keep things straight. He's able to obey. And then he pays the penalty for us by dying on the cross for our sins. You don't have Romans 8.1, the no condemnation part, without Romans 8.3, Jesus Christ substituting on your behalf. 8.1 sounds nice. It's worthless to you if you don't believe 8.3. It means nothing. But what's really cool is, and what I love about this passage is how Trinitarian it is, because verse 2, for the law of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of life, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And then he goes on to mention the Father sending the Son. The Holy Spirit takes the work of Christ and applies it to our life. Our faith generated by the Holy Spirit. The work of Christ applied to our life by the Holy Spirit. He does all of this stuff for us. The Holy Spirit's working, 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 working. And like I said, I know that because we're Baptists, the Holy Spirit kind of wigs us out a little bit. We don't really know, have a category for him. For some of us, our Trinity is actually Father, Son, Holy Scripture rather than Holy Spirit. What I want us to talk about, uh, just kind of briefly take a sidebar and talk about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. And I'm going to limit this to what he does for the believer. So I'm not going to get into creation and some of the Old Testament stuff that he does. Um, And then we'll talk about some of the other things as we move through the Romans 8 chapter. So the first thing is you need to know he's the third person of the Trinity. He's the third person in the Trinity. That's person, not thing. So when you talk about the Holy Spirit, you don't say it. You say he, right? He is the third person of the Trinity. We know this because of all sorts of verses. Ephesians 4.30 is one. Uh, Do not grieve the Spirit of God. You can't grieve something. You can only grieve a person. He's also divine. Acts 8, 39, 1 Corinthians 3, 16 talks about the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. Uh, that's the div- divinity of the Spirit. He also inspires the Scriptures. 2 Timothy 3, 16, all of Scripture is God breathed, right? In the Old Testament, the word for breath, the word for wind is ruach, which is also used to describe God's Spirit. So Paul, who is writing 2 Timothy, is carrying this idea over. The Spirit is inspiring the writers of the Bible uh, with his writing. He also illuminates it for us. So as I'm reading Scripture, as I'm reading this 2,000, 3,000, 4,000-year-old document, it becomes relevant to me today because the Holy Spirit is opening my eyes to truth that I find in the Scriptures. That's what he does. He gives us new spiritual life. John 3, 5 through 6, new birth. We are dead. He brings us to life. He comes and lives in us. We're going to talk about that today. He unites us as believers, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and then he gives us gifts. I'm not going to talk about this too much, but Doctrine and Dessert this Wednesday, shameless plug, is about spiritual gifts. 
You can come and hang out with us, and we'll talk about spiritual gifts and what the Holy Spirit does for us there. He points us, lastly, to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. John 15, 26. That's probably the most important thing that the Spirit does. We talk about Jesus, and we actually sung a song about it just now. We talk about Jesus being uh, co-equal with God, but he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, so he humbled himself, right? He willingly submits himself to the Father's will. The Spirit does the same thing, but he willingly submits himself to the will of the Father and the Son, and he glorifies them. That's his role. That's his job. That's what he does. He points you to Jesus. He points you to Jesus. He points you to Jesus. That's what he does. So when he's riding shotgun with us, when he's on the road trip with us, he guides us, right? We talked about this. Back to the main argument of our sermon here today. He wants to guide you. Now, he wants to guide you away from something, and he wants to guide you towards something. He guides us away from sin and death. Look at verse 5. Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Paul basically says there's two categories of people. Those who are in the flesh, non-believers, those who are guided by the Spirit, who are believers, right? When you receive Christ, when you trust in Him, the Spirit comes and lives inside of you and guides you from there. So if you're not a follower of Christ, life kind of bends itself towards you. You, you kind of become, uh, uh, all of life is kind of getting about what I want, getting what I need. So things become about my happiness, my influence, my security, my standing, my power, and my place in the world. And so if, if greed will get me those things, I will do them. If lust will get me those things, I will do them. If going to church will get me that, I will do it. If being nice gets me that, I will do it. But as soon as it stops getting me the things that I want and need, I'm going to stop doing it. I'm going to walk away. Now, I might be selfless for a season. I might be selfless for a time. I might recognize something better. But typically, it's for people in my sphere of influence Rarely will it be for somebody who's not like me. Never will it be for an enemy, and never will it be for the glory of God. Never. And God tells us what this gets us in verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So what you get, kind of the wages of sin, right? The wages of sin is death. Because I'm hostile to God, he's the giver of life. So if I'm hostile to God, it makes sense that I don't have life. If I'm hostile to God and God's the giver of life, all of life has its being in him, it would make sense that death is what I get out of it, right? But when the Spirit of God comes into our life, one of his jobs is to steer us away from these death-inducing Lack disobedience sort of lifestyle. Look at verse 12. We're going to skip down a little bit to verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, the spirit, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So when the Spirit comes into our lives, we won't keep doing the same things that we've always done. And if we do try to go back to them, which sometimes you do, Right? That's what we read in Romans 7. You do what you do not want to do. You, you fall back into sin. You fall back into temptation. If I do those things, the Spirit of God is like, mm, you can't stay there. You can't keep being here. You can't, you, you got to move out of it. It won't have the same luster that it used to have. It'll taste almost bittersweet. You'll have a lot of regret around it as the Spirit kind of works and identifies areas of your life that aren't in line with what God has for your life. You know what this is called? It's conviction. It's conviction. 
It's not guilt. Remember, there's no condemnation, so there's no guilt. It's, con- it's, it's conviction. It's this feeling of like, that's not, and I can't put a finger on it, but that's not who I am anymore. That's not what I'm, for some reason, I just can't do that anymore. And it's the Spirit of God reminding you that you're a new creation and that as, an, as a new creation, you don't go back that way. You know what death on a road trip is? Traffic jams. Nothing will kill the good vibes of a road trip like a traffic jam. You're moving along, you got a good, good pace going, you're, you're making good time, right? And then you hit like standstill traffic. And for whatever reason, your kids that were having a great time in the backseat of the car are now angry. And of course, as soon as you stop moving, they wake up, right? People wake up, and when people wake up, how do they feel? Surly might be a way to put it, grouchy. Inevitably, somebody has to pee, and you're like, I can't, I can't. We're, we're stuck, right? But now we've got these cool things, Google Maps, Waze, whatever, and they're like, oh, there's a bunch of red on the, on the, the thing. You need to get off and go around, and we can find another way around this traffic jam. The Holy Spirit's job is to guide you away from the traffic jams of sin and death. You are on a trajectory. You're on a road trip, becoming more like Christ if you are a follower of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's job in your life is to guide you away from things that don't produce that in you. He says to you, that's a roadblock. That's a traffic jam. Go the other way. Turn away. Don't do that. Nope. Mm -mm. Right here. Left here. Left here. Right here. So he guides us away from sin, death, and evil. But he guides us towards life. Go back to verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Remember, life and peace. These aren't just eternal life. This isn't just absence of hostilities with God. Peace is a shalom. Peace is that wholeness, that flourishing that's taking place. God is building into you. He's not just ended hostilities and said, hey, figure it out. No, he's building in you life and peace and, and, and things that are going to make you more into the image of Christ that's going to be more in line with his will for your life. You're going to be everything that God had originally created you to be. That's what he's doing in your life. And notice the comparison between the flesh and the spirit. In the flesh, you get what? Death and hostility. In the spirit, you get life and peace. Right? So how do we do this? Like, how does he guide us towards life? How does he guide us away from death? Well, they're actually the same thing. Verse 13, again, it says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. How do you put to death the deeds of the body? Like, I mean, I I have habits, and I've tried stopping them. I'm not, sometimes I'm not successful. How do I put to death the deeds of the body? Well, the answer is by pursuing the things of life by pursuing what Christ has for you. So you don't just try and stop doing something. You replace it with what God has for you. It's a substitution. You, you, you fix it that way, right? That's how it's supposed to work. So you don't stop pursuing selfishness. Instead, you replace it with the pursuit of righteousness. So if you're on a, on a road trip and you, you run into a traffic jam and you want to avoid it, you don't just stop, right? You're like, well, we hit a traffic jam. Sorry, kids. We're having a vacation today in rural somewhere. And then we're going to go back home. No, you don't stop. You find another way. You, you find an alternate route. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our life. He directs us to those alternate routes, the alternate routes of life and joy and peace. That's what he gives us. So what he does is he replaces our hatreds with love, replaces our selfishness with selflessness. He replaces our impatience with patience. He replaces our barbed tones with gentleness. And he's able to do this because the Spirit's powerful. Look at verse 9. It's kind of a long passage, but I like it. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, 
if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. I want to read verse 11 again. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Basically, the power that brought a dead man back to life rests inside of you if you are a believer. And so the Spirit is able to do these things, steer us away from old habits, old addictions, old ways of doing things, old mental uh, processes, to new things because he brought a dead man back to life, amongst other things that the Holy Spirit has done. But Paul's point here is the Spirit of Christ, the powerful Spirit of Christ, rests and dwells inside of you. That's exciting. That should give you confidence, not in yourself, but in the power that's living within you. So he's a guide. He guides us uh, towards life, away from death, but he also guides us uh, by getting our bearings. The Spirit, trust the Spirit to get your bearings. So if you're on a road trip, it doesn't really matter where you're going if you don't know where you are, right? North is just a word if you don't know what you're north of or south of, right? North is a relative direction. I had a buddy of mine in, in seminary who could uh, figure out where he was in the city based on what side of the building he was on. And I, was, I always thought that was like magic. I'm like, dude, you're like a wizard. What is that? I'm like, where are we at right now? I'd, I'd test him. Like, where are we at right now? He's like, well, we're on this side of the building, so we're here. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. That's neat. You know, I thought it was neat. You guys don't have to. Fine, whatever. <laughs> I don't care. So the Spirit helps us get our bearings. And what I mean by that, he figures out Uh, He reminds us who we are. Look at verse 14 of Romans 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. He reminds us that we're children of God. That's our bearings. Remembering again and again that I am a child of God. I am a child of God. Knowing that I'm a child of God is one of the core, central truths of the gospel. It's not something that you can leave out. In fact, J.I. Packer says the primary and fundamental blessing of the gospel, adoption, is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, higher even than justification, being adopted into the family of God. So you haven't just been forgiven, you've been adopted, you've been brought into the family. You're a part of God's family. And this is what I mean by finding your identity in Christ. It's the truest, most important thing about you. This is what I mean by getting your bearings. The rest of your life should be oriented around the fact that as a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm not just a servant, I'm a child. I've been adopted. I'm a part of his family. This is the bedrock. It's the cornerstone of who you are. And that means the most, it's the truest thing about you. It's the most unassailable thing about you. And the reason why it's those things is because you didn't claim it for yourself. God adopted you through Christ, by faith. If I were to tell you that uh, Rodney Shell adopted me, which is fun, start calling him dad, that would be weird because Rodney has not adopted me. That'd be very strange. It would have no legal bearing if I just decided that Rodney had adopted me, right? Well, guess what? Rodney would be the one that would have to do that, right? He hasn't offered, by the way. I'm hurt. I'm hurt. Your identity is core to who you are. And this Romans passage, Romans 8, 14, reminds us that our identity 
needs to be firmly rooted and grounded in Christ. The problem is we have other things that come along and try and dislodge that identity. And Paul talks about some of them. Look at verse 15, fear. We have fear. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We live in a fear-based society. Maybe you've heard this before. You were home at like 10 in the morning and you hear an advertisement for the local news come on, flesh-eating bacteria might be in your fridge tonight at 11. <laughs> and you're like, I, I can't eat anything in my fridge till 11. I don't know. It could be flesh-eating bacteria, right? Social media, advertising, it's all about trying to rec- make you afraid that you're missing out on something, afraid that you're behind, right? We also have this new kind of fear that I think is fun. Uh, we have this fear of being on the wrong side of history. We're always afraid of being on the wrong side of history. That's, that's the wrong side of history. You know why we're afraid of that? We are a generation that judges negatively every generation before us. We are always just like looking down our noses at everybody that ever came before us because we figured it out. I guess because we have these phones in our pocket. I don't know, but we're geniuses. And we're afraid that history is going to judge us negatively because we kind of judge every other generation negatively. So we have this fear. But I don't need other people to work fear in my life, right? I can come up with plenty of anxieties, plenty of worries, plenty of fears on my own and kind of generate on their own this fear that I have in my life, right? And it dislodges this identity, this, uh, this identity in Christ that I find. And I can't quite feel like I'm a child of God in those moments, right? And so when this happens, I go to find my security in other things, relationships, money, status, security. That's, that's what I want. And so my fear drives me towards things that are not my identity in Jesus Christ. One of our biggest fears is that God's going to abandon us, right? That's one of my biggest fears. Maybe God's going to leave me. Maybe, maybe when I die and, and, and I appear before, he's not going to recognize me. And then we go back to Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ. And it's because you are adopted into the family of God. He can no more disown you than he could disown Jesus Christ. Because that's how binding it is. The Spirit comes back and says, no, 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 you're adopted. You're a part of the family. You have been brought in. And so in the midst of your fear, your proper response is not to question. The proper response is to turn to the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, please help me. Now within that, you can question, of course. But the first response should always be to seek that dependence on him. Another thing that assaults our status is doubt. Verse 16, doubt. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The role of the Spirit is to remind us, to strengthen us in the times of doubt, in the times of of struggle, really. And this fact should be defining for us. It's the most important thing about us. And because of that, I can sometimes begin to doubt it because there's other things that crop up that maybe maybe convince me that there are other things that are more important about me. There's other identities that seek to displace that sonship, that adoption in your life. Your work wants you to think the most important thing about you is what you produce Monday through Friday. And they impose that upon you. Willingly or unwillingly, they they do it, knowingly or unknowingly. Your family. You might feel this burden, whether spoken or unspoken, to be the best husband, father, wife, mother, child, son, daughter, whatever. And that if you're doing good in that area, then everything's good. If you're not doing good in that area, then everything's bad. Maybe if you're a roommate, if if everything's fine with my roommate, then everything's okay. If it's not, then living at home's difficult. 
political parties try to convince us that the most important thing about us is whether we have an R, a D, an I, a G, a X, I don't know, next to our name. And you've got to vote just this way because this is the most important election we'll have for two years or whatever. And with that comes social movements. Social movements want to reduce people down to core singular identities in order to advance things in our culture. And some of that's okay, like, like advancing, progressing culture is good. But I don't want to talk about movements right now. I want to talk about individuals. There's some of you in this room who struggle with identity. You struggle with gender identity and you struggle with same-sex attraction. And on behalf of the church, I need to apologize because the church has historically reduced you down to one single thing about you. Gay or straight, gay or straight, gay or straight. And I'm sorry for that. You are more than that. At the same time, the social movements that are pro-homosexuality also do that in a different way. And I am sorry that you are caught in the middle of that. So I want to talk to you. The Spirit of God wants to come into your life and remind you that the most important thing about you is who you are in Christ. The other stuff we can figure out later. But let's talk about who you are in Jesus Christ. You get that right. Orient your life to that. And everything else will figure itself out. I'm not saying it'll be easy. I'm not saying it won't be difficult. I'm not saying there won't be this sense of dissonance in your life. But I want to tell you as lovingly as I can, find Jesus Christ. Find your identity in him, regardless of what identity plagues you. Whether it's family, friends, work, whatever it is, the most important thing about you is who you are in Christ. And there are going to be things that come up and make you doubt that. And don't let it. Don't. Let it. And then lastly, there's difficulty. Difficulty as well. Verse 17, And the children, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This can be hard when you're looking around and everybody around you is living their best life now and you're like, man, I'm just walking through a really rough time right now. God must really not like me right now. No. In fact, uh, verse 17 here seems to imply that Part of our inheritance is suffering. Now, our great inheritance is spending eternity with Christ, being glorified with Him, reigning beside Him. But that inheritance was secured through suffering. Jesus Christ suffered. He died on the cross. So as followers, we will suffer as well. And that doesn't necessarily mean persecution. That means you will go through difficult times in your life. And as you orient your life to Christ, as the most important thing about you is Jesus Christ and your sonship, your adoption in Him... You know what happens? Every trial becomes sanctifying. Every difficulty, every struggle with an illness or, or, or problem with your life becomes about growing in Christ. But so many of us, we want the inheritance without the injury. We want the trust fund without the trials. This is what messed up the rich young ruler, right? He was offered uh, to follow Jesus. All he had to do was sell everything. And he's like, mm, not worth it. This was Judas Iscariot's issue. Jesus wasn't the kind of Messiah that he wanted. So he's like, well, I'm going to force his hand. I'm going to betray him and make him use his power because I want a Messiah that's going to rule the way I want him to rule. A lot of us turn back when things get difficult. But the Spirit of Christ is beside us, reminding us, mm -mm, don't quit. It's hard, yes. Don't quit. Keep going. Keep going. Keep riding along. Keep going. Stay awake. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up.
The Spirit helps us get our bearings during disorienting seasons of life. That is what He does. And He's going to bring us back always. Nope, you're a child of God. You're a child of God. No condemnation. You're a child of God. Yeah, that's difficult. Yes, I'm with you. And, and, and I love you. And you need to remember Christ's love in your life, but you are a child of God. Press on. So He guides us. He helps us get our bearings. Then trust the Spirit to keep you going. Skip over to verse 26. We're actually going to cover the other verses next week. Verse 26. In various times in your life, you'll want to give up on the road trip. Happens, I think, to everybody. Everybody wants to give up at some point on the road trip. It's difficult. Following Jesus is hard. Sometimes it doesn't feel fruitful. Sometimes it feels like God is distant. Everybody wants to give up at some point. And it's like when you're on a road trip, you kind of get this sense of like, was this really worth it? Like, should we have flown? That's the new, like, is this worth it? Like, should we have flown? Um, you get sleepy, right? You, you wonder like, oh man, was this like, is this trip going to be worth it? You, you worry about things like that. And the Holy Spirit's job when we're in the midst of this is to keep us going. And he does this kind of in three ways, according to, to Paul. The first is to keep us praying when we can't. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings, too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. There are times when I don't want to pray, when I don't feel like I can pray. I want to go to sleep, and I, I, I find myself falling asleep as I'm praying. I don't know what words to use. I don't know what's really going in my heart. I can't seem to focus on God. I keep focusing on other things. I get distracted, feel distant. And it's at those times where I'm like, ah, I don't know, I shouldn't pray. I'm just going to not... I'll do it later. Mm -mm. But this verse reminds me that the Spirit of God is interceding beside me, groaning. And, and best I can tell, that groaning is, is like this imperceptible like, translation that's happening on our part. Kind of a, what he means is, God. What he means, Father, is that he's hurting and that he's lonely and that he's distracted and scared. Give him sleep tonight. That's what he means. What he means is he's worried about this thing at work and it's stressing him out. And what he means is he wants you to be glorified in his life, but he doesn't know how to do that. What he means is, and this is what the Spirit does for us, and he also shapes our prayers so that verbally we become, he shapes us so that verbally we wind up praying more and more of God's will because we read his word, it's illuminated to us, we line up a little bit more with what God's will is. But you don't ever have to worry about praying the wrong thing. If you have the Spirit of God in you, guess what? You can't. You can't pray wrongly. Let that set you free. We have a girl in our singles ministry who uh, met somebody at a, at a coffee house, and they were talking about their faith, and it was a little contentious, right? And then he, uh, they prayed together, kind of as a, as a, and she didn't pray in Jesus' name. And he was like, I can't really associate with you anymore because you didn't pray in Jesus' name. Like, what? Like, it's a stamp that gets the envelope there, you know? Like, eh, postage not received. Sorry. The Spirit teaches us that we cannot pray wrongly. Praying in Jesus' name is great, by the way. You should. But like, he still hears us. So if you're not praying, you need to start. Start praying. If you get one takeaway from today, do that. Pray. Pray what's on your heart and be like, I don't know what I'm doing, Lord, but I'm trusting you to do something with it. Pray what's on your heart. If you're praying a little, pray a little bit more. Pray more. Pray that God would work. Don't worry about content. But trust that the Spirit's going to use it. Here's something that, that might be helpful. Go through your phone contacts list and pray for the people in your phone content. Also, you probably have a bunch of contacts in there that you won't use ever again. You can delete them. It's like a little clean housekeeping thing, right? It's just practical and spiritual. 
It's great. If you're praying a lot, keep praying. Keep praying that other people will join you in prayer. We have a gathering at 8.30 every Sunday morning. And I know that like you got kids and so it's difficult to get here at 8.30 and there's nobody maybe to watch them at 8.30 because our, our classes don't open until 9. I get all that. But there are about 30 or 40 of us that gather on Sunday mornings to pray. On campus every Sunday, there's between 1,600 to 2,000 people. That's not a great ratio. And I can't help but think it's the reason why is because we don't really believe that the Holy Spirit will intercede on our behalf and that God will change things via prayer. So my encouragement to you is to come to that. Pray with us as a body of believers and listen to the groanings of the Holy Spirit. He also helps us by keeping us trusting when we can't. Keeping us trusting when we can't. Look at verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. This is one of my favorite verses in all scripture. Paul's talking about the fact that everything in the life of the Christian pretty much is woven together like a tapestry or put together like a puzzle in order to bring God glory and for your good. And if you're wondering what your good is, he actually tells us in verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, this is your good, to be conformed to the image of his son, to make us more like Jesus. So God's working all these things together, good, bad, sin, not. He's working all these things together so that you might become more like Christ. So when you're facing difficulty, pain, hurt, struggle, you keep going because you hold on to this verse in faith and being like, this is going to do something amazing. I may never know what it is, but God is going to be glorified and it's going to work out for my good and I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep pressing forward. Seek comfort from the Holy Spirit during those times. Seek God to give you uh, uh, an extra blessing of just feeling his presence and, and love and mercy in that time, but keep going. Keep going. And then keep you on the road until you get home. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is called the golden chain. It's the golden chain. Um, these events started before God even knew, God knew, before God, you were even existed. Before you were even created, God had these things in motion. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. You can get into the arguments about predestination later. In fact, that's one of our doctrine and desserts. We'll talk about it. Regardless, God either knew what you would do and predestined you, or he, didn't knew what you, know what you, or he knew what you would do and didn't care, and he still selected you. Regardless, you've been predestined. You've been chosen. And because you've been chosen, you have been justified. And because that justification means that you were made right with God through Christ's death, and because you've been justified, you will be glorified. In fact, that word is in the past tense because that's how certain it is. It will happen because it might as well have already happened. That's how certain it is. One of the hardest things about driving on a long road trip is not getting to the, the cool vacation spot. It's the drive back home. The Holy Spirit will keep you awake when you want to fall asleep. When you want to coast, when you just want to, he'll keep you awake. He'll keep you driving, keep you focused. And he's going to get you home. In fact, the Holy Spirit in Ephesians is referred to as the seal of our salvation. A seal is something that's not broken. He keeps us secure, safe for the end. The Holy Spirit guides us. If you want to know what God's will is for your life, are you ready for this? I'm going to tell, you, tell everybody what God wants you to do with your life. You ready? He wants you to be more like Jesus. That's God's will for your life. It's not, it's not secret. It's public. It's God's will for your life is for you to be more like Christ. So when you come to a fork in the road and you're like, what do I do? You ask one question. Will this way make me more like Jesus or will this way make me more like Jesus? Well, 
They both might do equally as far as I can see. And, and you pray over it, you, you agonize, you, you trust the Lord with it. And if they're both equal, you know what you do? You pick one. And you trust the Lord to work. And you trust him to close the door. If it's the wrong way, he'll take care of it. We trust the Holy Spirit to guide us, to guide us away from death towards life-giving things. So you keep driving. Drive on, brothers and sisters. Because he's going to steer us away from those things and towards life-giving things. We can trust him to do that. We can trust him to remind us of our identity, to give us our bearings. So when fear, doubt, despair, danger, all that stuff comes into our lives, he's going to come and he's going to remind us, you're a child of God. Drive on. Drive on. Don't, don't listen to that. Drive on. And then at the end of, the, end of it, when you're facing difficulty, when you're facing challenges, when you want to quit, he's going to come in and say, no, 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 you're not going to quit because you're a child of God. And I'm a seal, and you are sealed for the day of salvation, and I'm going to get you home. So let's pray. Let's stay on the road. Let's trust that he's going to work all things together for our good. And let's watch him get us home to glory forever. Let's pray together. Father God, you have blessed us immensely because you've not left us alone. We are not separated from you. You've not said, cool, you're justified, move on. But you've given us your spirit, your very spirit to live and dwell within us. And he guides us, he strengthens us, he encourages us. He reminds us who you are. And so Lord Jesus, for each person in this room, I pray that they would listen to that spirit. For some of them today, that spirit's telling them they need to trust you for the first time. That Jesus Christ bled and died for their sins, and that truth is becoming more and more real every day. And my prayer is that they would hear that today. And that, Lord Jesus, your spirit would wake them up, would bring them to life, and they would trust in you. For those of us that have been believers, Lord God, your spirit still speaks. He dwells within us. I pray that we would listen to him this week in our homes, in our jobs. In the midst of personal conflict and anguish, I pray that we would listen to him and let him guide us towards our true identity, away from sin and death. I pray that he would keep us on the road. So we love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon. Come and join us as we seek to follow Jesus every day. We meet every Sunday at 9.15 a.m. for our small group Bible studies called Connect Groups and 10.45 a.m. for worship. We hope to see you soon at Park City's Baptist Church.